have to follow kingdom principles. We can't have the results of something without following the principles of getting it there. I, I was lucky enough this morning to wake up at four o'clock in the morning and get to the airport in Wellington and fly up on a plane at 6 a.m. in the morning to be here for church. And, um, you know, there's a principle called lift that the plane has. And it doesn't really matter whether I like it or not. If I wanted to arrive here and be with the best church on the face of the planet, then I had to trust in the principle of lift of the plane getting off the ground. Some of us don't like the principle of lift very much, eh, Anaman? Anna doesn't like flying very much, and uh, so, but she's got there. She overcame her fear, and she's here this morning. But the thing is, is, if I wanted to get here, then I had to follow the principle for the outcome of being here with the best church on the face of the planet this morning. And it's no different for us in life. If we want the results, we have to follow the principles. And so I want to continue talking to you this morning. This is a last one of the series where we're talking around finances. Next week, Trinity's speaking, and it's going to be a great service about generosity of heart. And I think it's just going to be a, a great end to this series before we step into our new series. And uh, what are we, July? So it'll be August. Is that right? Wow. Man, the year's disappearing. August, and in August, we're doing a series called God's at War. You're going to love that. It's going to be a great series. But I want to continue this morning on a heart of generosity. It says this in Proverbs 22 verse 9, it says, He who has a generous eye, everybody say generous eye, will be blessed. It's quite an interesting statement, isn't it? A generous eye. Does that mean that my eye's really, really big? It's like overly generous so I can see more things than anybody else can? I think that when the Bible speaks about this, the best way for us to understand what it's saying here is that some of us have an eye for talent, yeah? Yes? Some of you have an eye for fashion. Some of you wish your husband had an eye for fashion. Oh, some of us have an eye for food, yeah? If you, it's like, I don't know what goes on, but you know you go to some people's house for dinner and they cook the same thing that you cook, but their food just looks amazing and yours looks like something that kind of just fell onto a plate. Have you ever? Some people just have this eye, this knack for stuff like that. And the Bible is saying here that he who has a generous eye, in other words, somebody who has a, an ability to see generously, an ability to develop uh, an eye that just sees opportunities for generosity towards people, that if you have a generous eye, what does the Bible say? That you will be what? Blessed. That you'll be blessed if you have a generous eye. God will bless you. It says this in Luke six thirty-eight. It says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, he will pour into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. In other words, the Bible is saying here, what you give is what comes back to you. And it's not just talking about a financial scenario here, it's talking about in life, a generosity of your words, a generosity of your time, a generosity of all sorts of things. What you give is what comes back to you. The measure that you use it is the measure that it comes back. And that's the same principle, be it for generosity or whether it be for not such generosity. To the level that you are mean to people is to the level that it will come back. To the measure that you judge people is to the measure that you'll be judged. It's a principle throughout all of Scripture that what we sow is what we reap. 
So when you give, it's given back to you, and that means that when you are generous, that you will be blessed. You'll receive back the blessings of God as you do give and become more generous. And I've always the scripture saying that the more that you give, the more that I'll give back to you. The more that you are generous, the more generosity that comes back to you. And here's the thing that you need to understand, and I hope we can get our minds around this this morning, is that the enemy, the devil, does not want you to be blessed. Come on. He doesn't want you to be blessed. He doesn't want you to believe that God can bless you. But here's the thing. He can't stop God's blessings because he's not in control of God. God's in control of God and God controls the blessings. And that's why the principle is what you sow is what you reap. What you put in is what you get out. Yes? What you reap is what you sow. And when you give, you are blessed. It's a principle. And you can't stop the blessing of God if you are sowing generosity. It must come back to you. But what the enemy can do or what the devil can do is he can, I think what he does to most of us, and I include myself in this, is that he distorts our relationship with God's blessing. He causes us to have a distortion about how God blesses and what that means and how that looks and whether it's God or not or whether God's doing what he should do. I think the devil is very good at distorting our understanding of how God blesses. I think there are two major wrong ways that we see blessing. The first one is this, is that we can be full of pride about our blessing. Those who are proud of what they have. Words like, I am rich and I have acquired wealth and I don't need a thing. This is what it says in Revelation 3.17. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. (laughs) Isn't it crazy? That you can have all this stuff, but you can still be incredibly poor. Poor of spirit, poor of soul. You're proud of what you have, but the problem is that you've forgotten why you have it and who gave it to you in the first place. The Bible says this, that everything is his and everything that you have is his. Everything that you earn is his. But someone with a prideful spirit says this, it says, I've earned this, I've worked for this, I deserve this, I've done all of this, I'm entitled to this. Well, that speaks to me of an entitlement spirit, a spirit of pride that says, I have done this. I think people that have that mentality have forgotten that who gave it to them in the first place. There are some people that may not have anything, but they're still prideful about things. They say things like this, if I had what they had, I wouldn't manage it like they manage it. If I had the money they had, I'd do it like this and I'd do it like that. That's also a prideful statement because we're forgetting that if you had that, who would have given it to you? It's God. God is the one that blesses you with what you have. Again, it's pride. It's a, I deserve this. It's all about me. And those who have a prideful attitude towards the blessing of God have forgotten the source of all the blessings that they have. And that source is God. The first response is pride. The second response that people have that is wrong and distorted is shame. These people are 
not proud, but they're almost embarrassed and they feel guilty about the blessing that they have, about how well they've done in life. It says this in Genesis 32, 9 to 10, it says, Then Jacob prayed, O Lord, who said to me, I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. There are some people that when they're blessed, they've got this kind of thing, like, oh no, I, I'm not good enough, I don't deserve this. They're, they're kind of embarrassed by their blessings. I, I know that there's a business guy, not in our church, but a guy that I know in the community and, and worked very, very hard his whole life to, to build what he's built business-wise and, and he had just had a really, really good year and he decided to, he had a boat that was worth about $10,000 and he decided to upgrade it to a $20,000 boat, and then he hid it in his shed because he didn't want his workers to see that he brought a new boat because the last time he brought a boat, they walked around going, ooh, look at you. I said to him, bring your boat out so they can all see it, and next time they go, ooh, do it for you, say, hey, pal, who pays your salary? You better, you better hope my business is blessed because when my business is blessed, you get paid. And you get wage rises. And you're blessed because I'm blessed. And you don't want to see me selling my boat and selling my car and selling my house because that means that you're probably going to lose your job. It's a poverty mindset to get upset because your boss is succeeding in life. You should want your boss to succeed because when he succeeds, you succeed. Come on. This whole motion of taking the money, take all the money away from the rich and give it to the poor. You know, if they're not using the money right, yeah, absolutely. If they're hoarding it to themselves, absolutely. But who do you think creates businesses and jobs? People that have money to start them so that you and I can have income. We need to start to celebrate success and break that Kiwi mindset of reducing People down all the time. Tall poppy syndrome. It's not biblical. The Bible says rejoice with those that are rejoicing and mourn with those that are mourning. Celebrate the success that people have. When they succeed, we succeed. But there's this shame thing where, you know, oh man, I'm just embarrassed about the blessing that God has put in my life. The prideful person says, I've earned this and I deserve this. But the shameful person says, oh, I don't deserve this. I feel really embarrassed. I, I don't want to... Let, let me give you an idea of how this kind of works. It's like somebody comes up to you and says, hey, that's a really nice shirt. The prideful person goes, well, thank you very much. I brought it from, uh, from Huffer. Or what's, what's a really expensive store? I don't know. <laughs> yes. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's actually a Hugo Boss shirt. And I uh, just brought it recently on my trip to the Emirates. And... Uh, and talk about how great their shirt is and where they brought it from and the name brand that it has. That's what the prideful person does. The, the, the shameful person does this. Oh, this, this old thing? Oh, you know, like I, I, I wouldn't have this. It's just that I got it on special, otherwise I wouldn't have brought it. And, 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 and almost shameful or, or embarrassed that, that they've been blessed. I, I don't know any areas in a Christian's life other than the blessing of God, where people get ashamed of it. We, we, we get ashamed about the material blessings that God has and financial blessings that God has put across our path, yet the Bible says that I will prosper you, that I want to bless you. 
that I've come to give you life and life more abundantly, that as you give, I'll give back to you. Press down, shaking together, running out all over. Blessing shouldn't be something that you're ashamed of. Blessing should be something that you're expecting. But I see Christians that are ashamed of how well they've done in life. Let me, let me put it this way. I, I don't know why we get ashamed of the blessing, financial blessing and material blessings that God gives us, because we only do that around that. We don't do it in any other way. Let me give you an example. If you walked up to me and said, hey, Craig, you know, man, you're blessed with a great wife. I wouldn't turn around and say, well, thank you, uh, but I kind of got a half price on sale. <laughs> she was a real bargain. I wouldn't have a wife that great, but I just found her you know, in the red dot sale at Farmers. That's the... We don't do that in any other area of our life. If someone comes up to you and says, man, you've got a great kid. Oh, why, thanks. I, I found him on the side of the road. and You don't do that, do you? So why do we do that when it comes to God blessing us? Don't be ashamed of his blessing. He's blessing you because you're following principles and you're getting kingdom outcomes. Come on. He distorts it. I think it crushes God when we are proud or ashamed of what he has blessed us with. I think as a father, if I gave my kids a gift and they were ashamed of it or proud of it, my response would not be good. If the response was, thanks, Dad, I deserve this, my response would not be one of generosity towards them. But if they turn around and said, no, I, I can't take this, I don't deserve this, I'll be like, yes, you can. You are beautiful, you are awesome, you are fantastic, you deserve to be blessed, let me bless you. There's such a beautiful person in the life of our church and she can't be here this morning because she's not doing too well so I can talk about her because she won't growl me. But Nairi is one of the most beautiful, generous people that I know alive today. She's 90 years of age and she always growls me when I bless her, tells me off. I went and saw her uh, this week, was it this week? I went and visited her. And she goes, what are you doing here? I said, I've come to visit you. There's plenty of other people you should be visiting. You don't need to visit me. I took her some flowers. What have you brought me flowers for? Because I want to bless you. Give them to somebody who needs them. You know, the spirit of generosity in here is, I'm not doing this for me. I'm not being generous. I'm not doing all the things that I've done in the life of this church and the sacrificial things that she's done for her lifetime to help build what we now enjoy today. She didn't do it for the blessing. But here's the key thing is that God blesses you whether you do it for it or not. Because if you follow the principle of what he tells you to do and you have a generous heart, then you will be blessed. It will happen. You don't need to be ashamed of it. You don't need to be prideful about it. Because the problem is when we get a dysfunctional relationship with the blessings of God, we start to think that we earn them or we start to think that we don't deserve them. And I want to challenge you this morning to remember why God blessed you. Why has God blessed us? What does the scripture teach us about why God blesses us? Why why does God bless us? Well, he blesses us for purpose. And I heard this this week, and I thought it was such a great statement that they said, that Craig Grishel, a pastor from America, said this. He said, too often 
We pursue our passions instead of his purpose. And we've got to remember why God has blessed us. What's the purpose of his blessing? When we start to pursue our passions with his blessing and lose sight of his purpose for the blessing, that's when we start to get things out of control. And it says in 2 Corinthians 9, 11, what the purpose is of him blessing us. It's that you would be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through your generosity will result thanksgiving to God. Notice he's not just talking financially. We've already had this discussion before, but he's talking about you being blessed in every area of your life, be it your marriage, be it relationships, be it friendships, be it intimacy with God, be it whatever it may be. It's in every area, be it good, good health and all things that you'll be all blessed so that you have enough left over on every occasion to bless others That is what the Bible is speaking here. So God made you rich or God's blessing you for one reason and one reason only so that on every occasion as the blessing flows into you, it can also flow out of you to those around you. The purpose of God's blessing is yes, so that you can be blessed and you can have a nice house and a nice car and all those sorts of things. But the purpose is that as the blessing comes to you, so it also flows out of you, that he would bless you enough that you have enough for all that you need and the rest would flow out of you so that people all over the world, as the scripture says, would bless God and praise God because of your generosity. How do we transform a world? How do we get people to know that that God is for them? It's through generosity because the Bible says that people will praise him because of the blessing. People are going to sit back and thank God that you came across their path because of your generosity. In Genesis 12, 2 to 3, there's a promise to Abraham and it's a promise to us also. It says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and he, whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples. Everyone say all the peoples. On earth will be blessed through you. It's a promise. I believe that the church that is us coming corporately together is the hope and the answer of the world and it is the blessing of the world that God created us to bless us so that we could be a blessing. And as those that get saved come into the house, they become blessed and they also bless. And then our world does not see the church as a place of judgment and a place of religiousness, but it sees the church as God intended it to be, that it's a place of generosity and love and acceptance and forgiveness and mercy and grace and truth. Truth without grace is just horrible. It's nasty. But grace without truth is pathetic. Because it's just, hey, you can do whatever you want. We had child dedications this morning. The key to parenting is grace and truth together, isn't it? Being graceful enough not to be nasty to your children, but having enough truth in there that you just don't let them do whatever they want in life. Because you're trying to shape them and direct them in the path that they should walk. And the church needs to be all of those things. I just can't imagine, I don't know whether you can, but I just can't imagine, I just can't get it through my head what it would look like 
for the entire world to be blessed and to praise God because of the blessings that came to us that then we gave to them. You must remember that you are blessed to be a blessing. And because God has blessed us with more, then we intentionally need to give more. Because we're blessed with more, we must be a bigger blessing. And I'm not talking about giving to the church. I'm just talking about giving. Because prior to government, the church was the social services of the world. It was the early church that sold everything they had and put their money together and looked after the widow and the orphans. It wasn't the government. And in fact, when you look biblically, it's not the government's responsibility to provide social services. It's actually the church's responsibility. The reason why I highlight intentionally is because I think a lot of us aren't, and I include myself in this at times, are not intentional givers. Most of us are intentional consumers. Yes? I mean, you get a raise, and the first thing you think about is what you can now buy because you've got a raise, yes? Come on, let's just be honest. You get a little more and you think, man, what sort of holiday can I have? How can I blow this little extra on myself? Yeah? Kids learn that from an early age, don't they? Can you increase my pocket money? Because I want to buy more. Seth tries to do these deals with us. If you loan me enough money to buy this new PlayStation game, I will pay you back. Is he here this morning? He's going to kill me a little bit later. Oh, he's out that night. Shh, don't. Some of you, I tell stories about him, and then you go and talk to him afterwards, and you knock on me. <laughs> Snitches get stitches. All right? Cut it out. So he comes to me and goes, Dad, lend me some money. How much have you got in your account? I got $40 in my account, but the game's $80. But I'll tell you what, Dad, I'll do you a deal. I will wash, vacuum your car outside inside. That deal was made in February. We are now in July. There ain't been no cleaning of the car. And then I replaced the car because my car was dying, and now he says you don't need it clean because it's a new car. <laughs> He's a great consumer, not a very intentional giver. Most of us were intentional in our consumption. I believe that the Bible wants to teach us to be intentional in our giving. I believe with all my heart that God is saying, I have blessed you, not so that it can be all for you, but instead you can be intentional, be a bigger blessing around the world. And I know some of you are like, man, I just don't have a lot of money, and I get that. But what you don't understand is generosity is not about amounts. It's about the heart. There are three types of givers that I'm going to finish on here this morning for you. Three types of givers. The first type of giver is a spontaneous giver. Many of us are spontaneous givers. You know, we just see a good thing and we just give to it. We don't even think about it. We just do it off the cuff. The Samaritan man in the Bible is a spontaneous giver. It says here in 
Luke 10, 35 said, next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper to look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expense that he may have caught. The, the Samaritan man is walking along and sees this man beaten on the road and he has a generous eye and he goes, I've got to help this guy. And spontaneously he gets into the inn and he pays for his medical bills and his accommodation and everything. He says, and when I, when I come back this way, I'll, I'll, I'll finish paying the bill. He just a spontaneous, saw a need and he met it, spontaneous. The, the feeding of the 5,000 is the same thing. It's, uh, there was a need and the boy spontaneously gave of his bread and his fish and, and then God uh, multiplied it. And it was a spontaneous giving that happened in that moment. Didn't plan it, just spontaneously saw a need and gave what they had, did what they could do. That's a great way to give. And I want to encourage you, if you do that, it's a great way to give. It's a great thing to do. But if it's the only way that you give, you're very limited in what you're giving. I want to encourage you, be spontaneous in your giving, but then take the next step and become a strategic giver. A strategic giver is somebody who doesn't just give spontaneously, but they think and they plan their generosity. We do this every Christmas if your parents when it comes to buying gifts for your kids, you strategically plan your generosity towards them. We actually do this a lot in life, but we just don't think about it when it comes to kingdom. But Isaiah 32 verse 8 says, but generous people plan to do what is generous. And they stand firm in their generosity. I love that. that Generous people plan their generosity, and then they stand firm in it. They don't get wavered from it. They stick to their plan of how they're going to be generous. They plan, they sit around going, how can I be more generous? What can I do to help people more? What can I do to be a blessing to others more? And then they stand firm in that generosity. Last week, we talked about the tithe, and to me, tithing is strategic giving. It's doing what God has asked us to do. It's strategic because it's saying this, that I will give God my first and my best, and I will trust Him with the rest. It's a strategic giving. It's strategic because now we're making adjustments to our lives because we're going to honor him with the first 10%, which means that we need to make some changes and adjust our lives around that so that we can make him first. It's strategic. It's not just something that happens. And if you can't afford to do 10%, that's cool. If you didn't hear the message last week, you can go on a pod bean and listen and get the full download of biblical reason behind it. But you start somewhere. You do something because what we're trying to say is that God, I trust you and not myself when it comes to my finances. It's a strategic thing. It's understanding that this is his. It's not, it's not giving the tithe. It's returning the tithe, the Bible says. It says that the tithe is the Lord's. It's returning back to him what was always him, his in the first place. And here's the crazy thing. The other 90% is also his. He just allows you to have it. And I made a change, and I made a change a wee while ago where I understood that I've given my 10% and I've done that part and that's cool and that's awesome and that's lovely, but actually the other 90% is still his and so I can't just be careless with the other 90% too. I need to be strategic. I need to have a budget and steward my finances well because they're still his. The tithe comes into the storehouse as local church and that's a strategy giving, and that's a great starting point. The first 10% comes in, but what about the next 1%? Say you're on $40,000 a year, 1% per year would be 
maybe God's going to speak to you today about, I'm going to put some money aside, uh, the tithe goes to God, but I'm going to put some money aside so that I can be strategic in my giving. Maybe it's sponsoring a world vision child. That's strategic in your giving. It's, it's generous. It's a generosity thing. You know, I, I, Trinity and I are trying to live by this. We're not quite there yet, but we're trying to live by the 10, 10, 10, 70 principle, which is 10% to God, 10% to savings that we don't touch at all. Because the Bible says that we leave an inheritance for our children's children, and we want to be able to do that. And then the other 10% is where we can just give to whatever we feel to give strategically, spontaneously, and then live off the 70%. And there's times that I've been tempted to go, you know what, we could do this if we just didn't worry about that other team. We could step into the house, build the house, do all the stuff that we want to do. But, but I believe that there's something fantastic that happens. Well, I don't believe, I know. And there are people here that are generous in their giving of their time and of their love, of their affection, of their finances. Nothing, nothing, I believe, on the face of this planet does more for me and more for you than when we can see lives transformed because of our service, because of our giving, because of change. To hear Anna share that story this morning of a testimony brought tears to my eyes that we get to be part of this where people have miracles and transformations and God breaks through for them because we are here giving of our time and of our finances and our love. And I want to see that not just for Anna, I want to see that for all of you and all of those that aren't here and all of those that don't even know that we exist. Because the Bible said that Christ came for the lost. He didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. And he wants to see a transformation of them as much as he wants to see a transformation of us. And then he comes and he says, hey, why don't you partner with me in your generosity to see a world transformed for Christ? And then you'll get to sit there one day as we're baptizing 40, 50, 60, 100 people at a time going, I'm part of that. I'm part of that. I'm not a spectator. I'm not a consumer of this, but I'm a participator. I'm part of that. Because of my generosity, I'm part of that. And maybe you're going to put aside 1%, I don't know, maybe 2%, 3%, I don't know what it is, but I would ask that you would pray and say to God, okay, I want to be strategic in some of my giving. And maybe half of that, you're spontaneous, but then the other half, it's like, you know what, I'm going to be really strategic. We're going to pray about this and decide prayerfully what we're going to do. Why? Because when you have a generous eye, you will be blessed. I've got this allocated and I'm praying and asking God, where's the best place for me to plant it? And all of a sudden, giving is not just something we do. Generosity is who we are. Because a generous person plans to be generous and they stand firm in their generosity. Spontaneous giving is a great start. But man, when you start to be strategic about what you're doing, it just takes it to a whole nother level. And then there's the last one. Sacrificial givers. People that sacrificially give above and beyond. These are the ones that really recognize that what we have in this world is not simply for us, but it's for God. Do you know we're sitting in a building today, comfortable in chairs, with air conditioning and nice facilities, because in the 1970s, the people that were part of this church sacrificially gave 
to buy the land, build the building that you and I sit in today. What we sit in today is not of our doing. It's the legacy of those that have gone before us. And as we proceed as a church and as we do the little subdivision that we're doing and raise the finances to do the next thing, we're going to ask you to help us do that, not because not because we necessarily need your money so much or God needs your money, but you need to understand something, that you need to leave a legacy for the generations to come also. That the generation before us set the standard and we're to stand on the shoulders of those that have come before us and make sure that we lift it to a whole nother level so that those coming after us can stand on our shoulders and take the church further and higher because that's the way that God has created things to be, that every generation should succeed the one before and go further and do more for the kingdom and more for God and transform because it's his wish that all men should be saved. Sacrificial giving of people that go to a whole other level. There's a story about King David and he's, and he's coming to this place where he needs to offer a sacrifice and he, and he wants to get some oxen and he goes to this guy, um, I can't pronounce his name, but I'm going to try anyway, Aruna. He goes to him and he says to him, hey man, you got some ox, I'd like some ox for, for a sacrifice. And because he's the king, Aruna says to him, no, 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 I'll give them to you. And David says this, and I want you to hear this this morning. He says this, no, no, no. He says, you don't understand. I want to pay for it. I will not sacrifice anything that did not cost me something. In other words, he's saying, I want to feel it when I give. Sacrificial people are like, man, I believe in what God's doing and I believe in what he's telling me to do and I want to feel it as I give. I want it to, if it's not hurting, it's not enough. I know some of you are like, you're so glad that this is the last week of us talking about money, but I'm trying to teach you something. When, when it has hurt me the most is when I've been blessed the most. When, when Trinity, and you've heard this story before, but when Trinity and I were only a few weeks away from getting married and God told me to give away all of our money that we'd save for our wedding, it hurt to do that. But God replaced it within two weeks and then some. There's something that happens in sacrifice. There's something that happens when we give sacrificially. Most people want to give God what is left over. Most people don't want to feel it. There's some that are crazy enough to say, you know what, all that I have, it came from God. If that's what he needs, then I'm going to do it. And in Mark 12, there's this incredible story of a woman. As the musicians come and singers come this morning, it'll be great. But it says this, it says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus is about to give them a teaching moment. He says, I tell you the truth, this Poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of those rich people. They all gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. 
You see, it's not about the amount, it's about the heart. And this offering that they were taking up at this time is actually the offering that they would then distribute between the widows and the orphans. And this widow, even though she's about to receive from this, says, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to receive from something that I'm not prepared to put into. I'm not, I'm not going to receive from something that I'm not prepared to sacrifice for. And so she puts in everything that she has. And God turns around and says, that is generosity. That is sacrificial. That gets my attention. That has caused this story to be told for over 2,000 years all over the world. Not the people that put in the heaps because they had heaps left over, but the sacrificial person is the one that God talks about, the woman with the alabaster box who breaks over and washes Jesus' feet with perfume that was a year's salary is the one that gets talked about. The sacrificial giver. You see, a lot of times people say, well, I don't really have much to give. I would say to you, you always have something to give. And when you have less, is sometimes when you need to make the biggest sacrifice and trust God that he's going to come through for you. Some of you are like, man, why are you spending so much time talking about money three weeks in a row? Why, why are you doing this? I'll tell you why, because I really, really believe with all of my heart, based on Scripture and from what God has spoken to me over all of the years that I've been around, I really believe God would not have sent so many people into our church just for us to enjoy what we have. I really believe we have a tremendous responsibility to make sure that we build something for the generations to come and for the generations out there that are ready to come. Because the harvest is ready, but the labor is a few. That statement, there's four months to the harvest, was just a, was just a Jewish saying of saying, oh, we'll do it later. How many people have got teenagers? Can you do the dishes? Oh, I'll do it later. Ten o'clock comes. Dishes still aren't done. You go in there, you get a little bit grumpy. You need to get the dishes done before. Yeah, I'll do it later. You go to bed, I'll get them done. You get up in the morning. Dishes are still on the bench, not done. Everything in me wants to go in there at 5.30 in the morning, wake them up. That's what they're saying. Ah, it's four months to the harvest. And God said, no, 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 that's not the attitude. Open your eyes. See, it's ready now. You need to move now. You need to do something now. And we need to do something now that builds something for the generations to come, that builds something for, for the people that don't even know him yet that are going to find him because we did something here that was sacrificial and it cost us something. But I want to tell you this morning that Jesus led by example. God led by example when he sacrificed everything, his one and only son, so that you and I could have everlasting life, so that we could have forgiveness of our sins, so that we could have grace for when we make mistakes, so that we could receive mercy instead of judgment. He showed the way for us because he had a generous eye towards you and he had a generous eye towards me. And if I share something personal with you as I've gone through this series, I really feel like God is saying to me this morning and challenging me, and I haven't even shared this with Trinity yet, so she's finding out the first time that you're finding out. 
I really feel like God's saying to me, don't increase the standard of your living, but increase the standard of your giving. Become more of a blessing. Recognize that if you can bless, then God will bless. In that first week, I talked about barns overflowing of blessing. And I really believe this with all of my heart, that if you would do with your finances what God instructs you to do, you'll never be empty. God will always give back. Press down, shaking together, running out all over. The principle is what you sow is what you reap. And I want to encourage you, if you're not already, be a spontaneous giver. It might just be buying somebody a coffee. But you don't even know tomorrow when you go to the cafe. You buy yours and you buy another one and say, hey, the next person that comes through and gets this free. But why don't you go beyond being spontaneous? Why don't you start to be strategic in what you're doing? And maybe you need to go away and pray and say, okay, God, what do you want me to do sacrificially that will build something for the generations to come?